I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to Sportsbeat After Hours. Mm. I am your host, Hemahe Mooley Jr., and joining me is our co-host, my co-host, our co-host, the our local lovable, the local lovable co-host, <laughs> Zach Hicken. Uh, yeah, we are back. Um, more college football on the docket for tonight. Uh, Jazz are coming up tomorrow. Well, yes. I guess later today. Uh, we're recording at one oh nine. AM uh Monday September 30th. Um big week for us here at kslsports.com with uh Jazz. We are sending a crew to Baton Rouge for Utah State, mm. Louisiana State. Um so make sure you guys stay tuned to our website. As always, we are powered by kslsports.com. Check it out. Also make sure to check out Sportsbeat. Um I'm going to tell you guys this uh, we're, we're on Saturday and Sunday, 6 p.m. on a Saturday with our high school show, 1045 on Sunday. I am a company man. I got to pump out all our products, but, um, some good stuff on the show today because we had Sly and David Nixon mm-hmm. in studio as always, every Sunday they're in breaking down the film for BYU in Utah. We saw some good stuff with, uh, Utah. We're going to talk about that, mm-hmm. why they were successful against Washington state, but maybe some things about that can that BYU can clean up after that loss against Toledo, um, that they can use to build on for the future. They got a bye week to uh, get ready, bye week for Utah as well. But let's start with that BYU game. It was the first game okay. that we covered this weekend. A 10 a.m. Mountain Time kick, 12 p.m. Eastern. Um, Utah, or excuse me, BYU making the cross country trek to uh, Toledo. They played in the Glass Bowl. Mm-hmm. Things. Uh, did not look pretty. Not good. No. Um, BYU only scored seven points in the first half, so the offense kind of struggled. And part of it was, I think part of it was play calling, part of it was execution on the offensive side. Yes. Um, they weren't finishing drives. They were, there weren't great play calls either. They weren't getting a lot no. of help. Um, and so their offense changed with Tyson Williams getting hurt. Mm-hmm. They went from being... 50-50 run pass to maybe even like 55-45 run pass. 
um, in terms of like the number of plays, mm-hmm. to they were like seventy thirty. Wow. Um, passing to running, and so that makes a difference in how you're play calling. I think BYU um, typically just. And what they've been able to do the last two years with this mm-hmm. offensive line, they run the ball really well. They run block well, um, especially against G5 programs like Toledo. Mm-hmm. They can move the ball on the ground. But we saw that the offensive line kind of struggled a little bit. A couple times James MP got stood up. Mm-hmm. Um, and just some weird play calls. Like on third and one, you should be able to pick up third and one yes. every time. But when you're calling a pitch to the boundary side, Goodness gracious. There's 12 defenders on the field because all you have to do is just push the guy out of bounds because he can't turn the corner. And from shotgun, nonetheless. Yeah. Like, yeah. Um, it was, it's mind-boggling. And, you know, I've I've had a problem with the play calling since game one. Third and one has been horrible specifically this year for BYU. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think Tyson Williams masked a lot of the um, play calling yes. errors because of his ability to run, pick up those yards, fall forward. And when we lost Tyson Williams, um, when BYU lost Tyson Williams, it was kind of a, it, it turned back into a one dimensional team, a one dimensional team that we saw in seven, 20, 2018 and 2017, to be honest. Yeah. And if you're going to be a one dimensional offense, a team like Toledo will beat you. Mm-hmm. A, a good G5 team will beat you. Yeah. And that's what happened. Well, and the thing, too, is it's not like Emmanuel Asupa had a bad game. No. Total the Rock 12 times for 60 yards. It's 61 yards. It's a five-yard per carry average. Mm-hmm. But he's just not going to be able to get the same amount of touches that Tyson was. Tyson was getting, you know, 20 touches a game. Mm-hmm. Emmanuel is closer to, you know, a dozen touches. But in the in the first half, they left so many points on the board because they could not finish drives. They could not capitalize on big plays that they made, and they missed a lot of opportunities. Let's start in the first quarter. BYU gets the ball on their own 10. Zach Wilson um, gets the ball to the Toledo uh, 40 on a 43-yard pass to Gunnar Romney. Mm -hmm. He completes a pass to Talon Shumway on first and 10, then three straight incompletions. They turn it over on downs. They couldn't capitalize. If they even got a field goal out of that, that makes a difference. But they couldn't even do that. We'll get to that. Okay. Yeah. Next series, uh, Mitchell uh, Guadini, I've probably just butchered his name. He, Who cares? I'm better than the <laughs> Toledo oh play-by-play guys right now. Maroney. But by Salami the way, a lot, of, a lot of people's Twitter names are hilarious. Like yeah. BYU Twitter names when they change it to Salami Katana or yeah. whatever. Like, Salami Katani. Ugh, makes me laugh. It was great. Um, but... Uh, Toledo's quarterback, let's just go with that. One of the Toledo quarterbacks, one of the BYU tight ends, uh, Peyton Wilgar gets an interception. Yes. Uh, and BYU can't capitalize on that either. And they, granted, it's not in Toledo territory, but they're basically around the 50 yard line. And the next series, they uh, basically go three and out. Yeah. Um, and BYU also left six points on the board on missed field goals. Mm-hmm. Jake the Make. Jake the Shank. Jake the Shank. I like that. He missed a 39-yarder and a 42-yarder. Um, I think the 42-yarder, that was the second one, he kind of overcorrected a little bit mm-hmm. after missing. He missed wide right the first time, and then he just shanked it left. 
So he I got think in he was overcorrecting, and yeah. I think he got in his own head, and he got pulled after that. He um, BYU ended up scoring um, a touchdown to start the uh, the second half, and he was not out for the PAT. It was Skylar Southam. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, just kind of a weird game in that first half. BYU's defense played really well. Um, kind of shut down Toledo's run game in the first half, but then in the second half, um, Toledo kind of woke up a little bit, and they ended up running for 242 yards against BYU. Um, had three guys with 50-plus yards on the ground. Wow. And that's just not a great formula for winning a game because that equals ball control. And, uh, you know, you can run down the clock, which BYU only had the ball for 25 minutes in this game. They were 33% on third down, 5 for 15, uh, 0 for 2 on fourth down. They put up a lot of yards, but they just they did not execute um, when they needed to. They had six penalties for 52 yards. Penalties have been a consistent problem yeah. with this team. Um, Especially like offsides, like, or excuse me, not offsides, false starts. Like false starts when you're a wide receiver or tight end. Yeah. Yes, I'm pointing to one person. <laughs> it, should not happen. It So it sucks because they, as far as penalties go, BYU seems to get the small ones that should be easily avoidable. Like you said, false starts. You know what the snap is. You shouldn't be getting false starts. Don't go until the ball moves. And then, yeah, even if you don't know what the snap, like if you forgot what your quarterback said literally 10 seconds ago, then watch the ball. And then two, not only are they small fouls that add up, but then they give up like a lot of chunk fouls. Not so many this game, which is great, but in the season as a whole, they've been killed by big, big penalties, personal fouls, face masks, uh, pass interferences, things like that. Well, they did have a, a personal foul that kind of killed them in the second half. Um, Toledo uh, was marching. They're down a touchdown. And uh, Toledo's marching on second and 20. Um, BYU puts Toledo in a third and 12 position. Ugh, and that, Chaz Ayu <laughs> throws uh, uh, Bryce Mitchell down like five yards out of bounds. It's an automatic first mm-hmm. down. Puts them in first and goal when third and 12. Now, I'm not going to say BYU is going to guarantee to get the stop. No. But that switches a touchdown to a field goal. But And literally, a, th- a third and long situation, if you're the defense, you just say, look, play what's in front of you mm-hmm. and don't get any, like, you, you be the last person off the line they, when they snap the ball. You watch your hands. You If they're heading out of bounds, you just watch yourself mm-hmm. because – that's a you're in a good position. That's a win, a large percentage win if you're if you force the offensive to a third and long. Um, do you want to talk about like takeaways right now, like what you took away most of, from this game, or do you want to keep going through each uh, going through the game? Yeah. So well? okay, my main takeaway: um, BYU has some work to do in the trenches. Yes, they should have dominated this game. Yes, I don't know if there are people playing with injuries. I don't know. Um, they kind of changed up the defensive scheme a little bit. They brought more four-man pressures mm-hmm. than they had before. Um, but they're playing with a lot of really young linebackers right now. Yes. There were a lot of sets where they're running four linebackers that are all freshmen between uh, Peely, Algier, yep. Tooley, and um, 
Kafusi uh, even. Well, Kafusi's a, a Jackson. Oh yeah. Well, he it, not even him. Wilgar. Oh, Wilgar too. Yeah. Okay. Let Let me just add something real quick before I let you go on, just because we're already here. Um, that's a good and a bad for this BYU and uh, defense, and that's that's kind of my big takeaway is like as horrible it is to lose to Toledo. You have a lot and a lot of young kids. Okay, but team. here's my question: Kay. How long are we going to keep saying and making an excuse for BYU that they're young? Because I feel like we've been doing this since 2017. Oh, I see. As a whole, um, that's that's the frustrating part for me with this BYU team is you expect them to start to turn the corner. Okay, 2017 was sure. bad, going four and nine, but you know Tanner Mangum gets hurt. They rotate through like four quarterbacks, sure. but they still. Lost games that they shouldn't have, like UMass. Sure. Okay, so so the so the juniors and seniors, I think there is no excuse. Yeah, they should have cleaned it up by now. Like Matt Bushman making these penalties, he's yes. a junior that is possibly has an opportunity to go to the NFL after this year, but he keeps making boneheaded mistakes like yeah. that. And then, um, yeah, but like for the freshmen and sophomores, I think they get a pass because, especially sophomores, like you literally only have if you played every game last year, you only have. 11, 12 games under your belt. That's not a lot. Mm-hmm. And that's not enough experience to have seen everything at the college level, the D1 level, um, against a good P5 schools. So mm-hmm. I think um, I think those guys get a pass. But are you, but you're right. The team as a whole, we can't use that excuse. I think, oh, they're, they're a young team as a whole. Like, no. Like, the juniors and seniors that are leaders, they should be leading. And how they should be leading is by not making stupid mistakes. Yeah. They're killing the team. Yeah. And um, so that that's just my point is, like, it's a good and a bad. It's a good from the perspective that, like, shh, our defense made a lot of mistakes, but a lot of them were from freshman kids, mm-hmm. and they're going to learn from it. Yeah. Um, so you can now continue with the rest of your point. No, I I agree with that. I, I, I understand that, but at the same time, that's my yeah. frustration with this BYU team is – it's always next year. It's been sure. next year since 2012 when Taysom Hill took over as quarterback, and it's always next year. It's always mm-hmm. next year, and something happens. 2014, Taysom Hill gets hurt. Yep. 2015, Taysom Hill gets hurt. And granted, Tanner Mangum put together a pretty good year. The last good season was 2016, Kalani's first year. Mm-hmm. BYU was, you know, eight points away from going 12-0. and and it, it, Not that... Anything that they did dictates them deserving of that. Right. But, you know, that was the last thing that people really had to be excited about. 2017 happens. 2018, you know, they kind of start to turn the corner, put 2017 behind them, but they're still making a lot of the same mistakes. We saw progress, you know, going and winning against adversity Mm -hmm. against Tennessee in double overtime in a hostile environment. And let me tell you, that was a hostile crowd. I was there. Yeah. That place was loud. It was noisy. And BYU going in winning, even as bad as Tennessee is, that was impressive. Yeah. Okay. And then coming back the next week, beating a ranked USC team mm-hmm. was impressive. And then they kind of get thumped by Washington. And a lot of it, too, was just making these dumb mistakes that we talked about, you know? Well, the, uh, Washington They're, was a great example. Washington's of a great mistakes. team, but like BYU could have kept themselves in it if they didn't mm-hmm. make dumb mistakes. Yeah. And. The difference between a good team and a great team is a team will capitalize on big plays. BYU didn't do that against Toledo. Like mm-hmm. I said, the 43-yard completion, they get zero points. The interception, they go three and out right after that. Yeah. Um, 
and they did make big plays. They they had a uh, longest run of the season. Emmanuel Asupa, thirty three yards for a touchdown to close out the first half. They had a seventy five yard touchdown pass to Olava Hifo to start the second half. Yeah, also. But the it was like pass. few and far between are yeah. these big plays that you should be able. I mean, you should outmatch Toledo in the trenches. You should blow Toledo out of the water in the trenches, yes. in my opinion. and they weren't doing that. Yeah. I mean, we talked about third and one. And I, I know this is kind of scattered a little bit, and I'm kind of repeating points, but BYU had two third and one situations where they should be able to easily pick it up. Emmanuel mm-hmm. Asupa is a big back. Yeah, We know he's not Tyson Williams, but he's a big back that should be able to run over a single defender. But when there's penetration on the offensive line and miss blocks and they're not picking up stunts. Mm-hmm. They need to change something, something. you know, yeah. like so, that just shouldn't be happening. Something. And then like, again, part of it's play calling too, because they call the, an option pitch to the boundary side when they are outmatched two blockers to three yeah. defenders. It's a one-on-one for the running back and the linebacker. And the linebacker just chases Emmanuel out out of bounds, and he's tackled for a loss, and it's fourth and two. Instead of if they go to the field side, they mm-hmm. have three hats on three hats, and they possibly pick up. There's a little bit more yeah. of an edge that he can cut and get, but anyway, yeah, that's not the only bad thing that happened. It's just it's frustrating because there were opportunities for BYU to win this game. They didn't take advantage, and because of that, it makes a difference in the outlook of the season. You know, mm-hmm. I thought that maybe they'd have a chance against Boise State. I thought that they'd have a chance against Utah State. thought they'd have a chance against San Diego State. But this changes my outlook for the season. I'm not optimistic. Mm-hmm. And what makes me even less optimistic is what happens at the end of the game is Zach Wilson throws an interception mm-hmm. and injures his throwing hand. Yeah. And he's out for the foreseeable future. He's not going to be ready to go against South Florida. It's the Jaron Hall show. Mm-hmm. I think we saw some promise from Jaron Hall. Luckily, he gets a bye week. Mm -hmm. So he has two weeks to prepare for South Florida. South Florida is not a good team. BYU should win that game, but I'm interested to see what Jaron Hall does against Boise State and against um, Utah State and what he's able to do with the rest of the schedule because, uh, you know, they're pretty banged up as a team right now. Yeah, I'm excited because Jaron Hall, to me, is going to be like a – uh, like a Kyler Murray type quarterback, like a, I mean, obviously because of like the dual athletic abilities that he has, but he is a runner and he can throw. Um, so what makes me excited is that I don't think teams will know how to play against him. USF's not going to know what to do because no. they don't have, they've never they have seen six him. passes on him. And like his main film is that he was used as a slot receiver, motion to like fake the fly sweep. Mm-hmm. And so that excites me because it gives him two weeks to hammer down um, what he wants to do. It gives BYU two weeks to scheme to his strengths instead of uh, Zach Wilson's. Now that also worries me because BYU hasn't shown me that they can learn from past games with exception to um they fed Tyson Williams the rock more after the Utah game, mm-hmm. and um, they learned how to scheme against USC defensively. They, yeah. Defensively, when they played against USC, so I think there's some ability in there for the coaches to adjust and learn from past mistakes. But that worries me because they also kind of blow it. <laughs> 
Yeah. Um, the thing that's tough about this is coming off of a 2-2 two and two record off of that first four weeks of the season, I was in the boat that Kalani should be extended. I still am in that boat. I think he's the right person for the job, but he's in a little bit of a hot seat right now. Mm-hmm. And one of his biggest criticisms is that he cannot beat his rivals. And guess what? He's going to have a backup quarterback playing against Boise State and Utah State. Yes. It's two of BYU's next three games. Luckily, they get a bye week to prepare for Utah State, but Utah State's looking good. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not going to be a gimme game. No. Boise State's not going to be a gimme game. It's There's a possibility that Kalani's 1-11 versus rivals after this season, and that's, that's concerning. Good. When you bring up the positives and the negatives, that is such an outweighing negative mm-hmm. that maybe that's a reason that Kalani doesn't get his contract extended. That should be a major cause for concern for Tom Holmo, for this coaching staff. They need to split these these two games against mm-hmm. Boise State and Utah State. Yeah. They need to. I don't know if they will. Um, let's go to, uh, speaking of Utah State, let's make the trek up to Logan. Okay. That was the next game that was played. Um, and uh, they were hosting Colorado State for homecoming. Um, in the rain, just a torrential downpour. Yeah. Our Utah State... Um Correspondent, course, yeah, I don't yeah. know what he was. Matt, Matt Glade, he's our boss. He was there. He uh, he hosts the Scotsman podcast on mm-hmm. kslsports.com. If you guys, Aggie fans, haven't checked that out yet, or if you're just interested, I know BYU fans, Utah State's coming up in the next couple of weeks. He puts out like a weekly, sometimes bi weekly podcast. So, um, great podcast, yeah, he does Good a great listen. job. Um, he was there, he said it was the wettest game he's ever been in, probably. Yeah, it was awfully wet up there and you could kind of see it in the in the flow of the game because utah state turned the ball over a lot and it's i'm not really we're not at least i'm not um accustomed to seeing utah state turn over the ball so much um fumble wise especially from our man g bright um i think he had two fumbles yeah so there were seven total turnovers in this game um, Colorado State had three fumbles. Uh, Utah State had two fumbles and two interceptions. Um, a lot of criticism for Jordan, criticism for Jordan Love right now. Like Utah oh fans are like so hot right now because <laughs> Tyler Huntley had a great game. Tyler but Huntley's that just great. means that Jordan Love apparently isn't good. That is wrong. Jordan Love is very good. Okay, I know that he's thrown a few interceptions, but it's but look at this quarterback rating. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's so stupid. It's like. Ugh. Sometimes after football games, we like to stay off Twitter a little bit because yeah. it's just hot garbage. You can have two good quarterbacks. You can have three good quarterbacks. You can have seven. Yeah. It's there. It. Oh, I don't even know why they're debating. It's yeah. They're in different conferences. They mm-hmm. run different offenses. They have different strengths. Yeah. All three of them. Um. And we're talking about Tyler. Uh. Jordan Love and how he is probably the best suited for NFL play. Yeah, 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 for sure. And, and that's what we mean when we say that he's he's probably the best quarterback in the state. His his game translates to the next level very well. Yeah. And a lot of scouts agree. A lot of NFL scouts agree. But um, you just look at the flow of the game for Utah State. They're normally a pass-first team. Jordan Love only threw the ball 33 times. Um, there are other games this season— uh, he threw it um, 40-plus 
Yeah. Against San Diego State and Wake Forest. So like 45 plus even. Um, against Stony Brook, he only threw it 34 times, but he also got pulled like mm-hmm. after the first drive of the third quarter. <laughs> it was so, garbage time at yeah, that point. Yeah. But um, so, but yeah, you got to remember this game was in the rain, so of course they're going to keep it on the ground. More they ran often. it 56 times, and um, I, even though Gerald Bright had a couple of fumbles, like he did what Utah State needed him to do, which was move the ball on the ground. He picked up 179 yards on 36 carries. That's a five uh, yards per carry average, especially with Jalen Warren going down. Mm-hmm. Like Gerald Bright doing that. A big, big game from the senior. That's like yeah. what you have a senior running back for. Yeah. That's why Utah relies so much on Zach Moss. That's mm-hmm. why BYU was re- relying on Tyson Williams is yes. because of what you can rely on for a senior running back. But mm-hmm. um, even though they struggled on offense, Utah State actually got like a lot of um, help from their special teams and defense. Yes. Save on Scarver, a 100-yard touchdown return um on kickoff he uh, i think that's his third third or fourth career kickoff return for a touchdown fourth yeah fourth. fourth so he was an all-american last year as a sophomore on uh kickoff returns um had three of them like Hemman just said had another one this year i wouldn't be surprised if he houses one or two oh, more this year he's, like, he's, he's so fast he's so talented he knows how to read those blocks like He's going to play in the NFL just because of his ability to house, yeah, make house calls on this kickoff is, return. So he's really interesting to me because beginning of the season, we're like, this dude's the vet on the team. He knows. And he's only a junior. Yeah. And he knows Bryce, uh, gosh, Bryce Love. I mean, Jordan Love more than anybody else um, in the receiver core. And then he kind of doesn't do much. And in fact, um, COC Mariner kind of becomes the target, mm-hmm. which was interesting. But I knew that Scarver had this spark in him, and it was apparent on special teams. He's just so valuable on special teams that um, he can bring that fire when you need it on the, on the special team side of the ball. So um, it was good to see him back and, like, creating plays. Um, but that's not to say he didn't make any good catches. He made some great catches that um, – on Saturday, and um, yeah, we're gonna see a lot more from him in the future for sure. Yeah, for sure. Um, I I liked what we saw uh, from Savon Scarver. I also liked what we saw from David Woodward. He yeah. had a strip return for a touchdown. He literally he, just ripped the ball out of like the running back's hands, yeah, and then just run ran it in for a touchdown. That's the second time he's done that this year. The first time it was actually called back. I think that we should still count it, though, because it was just insanely impressive. He literally just took the ball from the quarterback the first time against Wake Forest. Oh, yeah. From uh, Justin Newman and ran it in. Um, it's ultimately the difference maker in that game. U- Utah State was up 24-27. Uh, Colorado State, this is with nine and a half minutes left in the fourth quarter, um, had an opportunity to march downfield and, uh, you know, either tie the game up or take a lead. And ultimately, um, that was the last score of the game. And so... Um, a sloppy win, but a good win for Utah State. Um, not, I'm not very hopeful for this game that they have against LSU. LSU is now number five in the country. Yeah. It's Joe be... Burrow's looking really good. They have a 4.1% chance to win the game. According to FBI, Wait, how much 4.1. <laughs> um, so yeah, Joe Burrow's thrown for 17 touchdowns and two interceptions. 
Um, really, really impressed with him. Uh, granted, they haven't played. They played Texas, but outside of that, they haven't played anyone great, but they haven't scored less than 45 points in a game. Um, that was against Texas, who was number nine at the time. So, uh, yeah, um, I don't have a lot of optimism for Saturday. We will have a crew there, so if you guys want to check out the sights and sounds of Baton Rouge, mm-hmm. we got you covered on Sportsbeat. Um, and then, yeah, Utah State's going to follow that up with a bye. It's their second and last bye of the season before they round out uh, Mountain West play. They're going to start with Nevada on October 19th. Yep. Um, let's move on now to uh, Utah, or yeah, the University of Utah. This is a huge win for the Utes. Yes. I kind of counted them out after last week against USC because, one, USC was running an air raid and just kind of picked apart Utah's man defense. Mm-hmm. And I just figured that, you know, Mike Leach had a chance to do the same because they've won four straight against the Utes. Yeah. Utah hadn't beat Washington State since 2012. Mm-hmm. And it seems like every time that, you know, a game came up against Washington State, Utah found a way to you know, lose it, even though they were favored a number of times. Yeah. I mean, and we, I went in with the mindset that Utah always struggled against air raid teams classically. Mm-hmm. Um, but they definitely proved me wrong in this one. Um, they seem to, this is, this is what we're talking about when we talk about teams learning from their mistakes throughout the season. Utah definitely learned from their mistakes from USC. They, knew exactly what they needed to do defensively to shut down the long bombs. Um, they knew what they, they needed to do offensively to put points up. They did both those things. Mm-hmm. And um, Tyler Huntley was stellar as usual. He was outstanding. He was amazing. Um, he led the team in both um, throwing and uh, how much? how many yards rushing did he have? So I, he had 31. Devontae Henry Cole had 79. Okay. But Huntley did have two touchdowns on the ground, two through the air. So he had mm-hmm. four total touchdowns. The Utah quarterback did. Um, but what was impressive to me, number one, defense. Like you, yeah. you were talking about. I just want to inter- interject this point really quick. Utah was so versatile in their defensive looks. There yeah. were times that they brought three. There were times that they brought six. Like They knew when to dial up the pressure. They um, got after Anthony Gordon when they needed to. Mm-hmm. They had him flustered. He did not know what he needed to do. He only threw for 252 yards. It's a season low for him. Yeah. Um, I mean, Tyler Huntley had more yards himself than Washington State did as a team. <laughs> I mean, he Was- had more passing yards than Washington State had as a team. That's great. Like, mean- Tyler Huntley was outstanding, 334 yards through the, the air. Yeah. But... Yeah, what I was impressed with was just, you know, dialing up the blitzes, the different looks that yeah. Utah had and getting after Anthony Gordon. I I don't think that Utah could have had a better game plan against Washington State. No, I was really impressed with uh, not only um, Julian Blackman with his ability to stay on top of the deep ball while um, making sound choices between receivers. Because mm-hmm. you saw... Washington State definitely followed USC's blueprint in that they were trying to split Julian Blackman. They mm-hmm. tried to split him. Yeah. But Julian Blackman learned, you know, if I can take the right angles and if I can um, use my speed effectively, I can cover both. And that's what he did on a couple of deep balls in the game. 
Um, but I wanted really to talk about the linebacker play. I think the linebackers were just on a different level this game, yeah. especially Francis Bernard. Francis Bernard balled out. Yeah, um, he did. Not only was he stopping the run, um, you know, rushing effectively, getting between the guards. Um, he was sniffing out uh, screen passes, but he was also dropping back in coverage, and that's how he got that pick. Um, really impressed with Francis Bernard. I think he took another he took a step in his um, defensive play this game. Well, and that's the thing too is I I kind of think that Francis Bernard is best when he's kind of freelancing a little bit. And he talked mm-hmm. about when he made some of these big plays, it's because he was freelancing because he knew from watching film he was prepared that um, that if if Washington State was doing something that this is how he needs to react, mm-hmm. and it worked out perfectly for him. He yep. had a he did a great job. Like he had twelve tackles to lead the Utes. Eight of those solo, had a pass deflection, the interception that you talked about. Um, had a couple of what I thought were tackles for losses, but they went down in the stat book as, uh, as uh, yeah, just no no gain, yeah. no loss, no gain. So um, having Francis Bernard play at that level and then Devin Lloyd next to him, mm-hmm. that's a difference maker for the Utes because uh, Francis Bernard is just so versatile in what he can do as a defensive player. He can rush the quarterback. He can... Uh, he can cover a, a running back out of the backfield. He can drop back into coverage. Um, he can stop the run. He's, I mean, he's the key. As important as the defensive backs are in the front mm-hmm. seven is, or excuse me, the the front four, the defensive line. I I kind of feel like Francis Bernard is like the key to making this defense work. Yeah, in and the he, Pac-12, and he, he he's doing what we knew he would do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when uh, Cody Barton left. And uh, Chase Hansen left last year. We're like, there's a big void in the linebacker spot. But Francis Bernard can fill it. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's what we were saying. Like, and it's nice to be right about something <laughs> every once in a while. Yeah, yeah. Francis Bernard's a baller, and we saw that. Yeah, I mean, Saturday. we we saw what he did when he was at BYU when he was with the TDS, and mm-hmm. um, <laughs> or was it just TDS when he was with TDS, know. and uh, and. He has done a great job, even though he didn't get a lot of playing time. He kind of had a late run after uh, Chase got hurt last year, mm-hmm. um, and it's just continued this year. Um, and, I mean, any time that you look like a big play out of that linebacker group, it's Francis Bernard. Yeah, uh, He had the pick six against BYU, the interception here. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised if we're talking about him more throughout the season. Yeah. Um, so, I want to talk about Tyler Huntley for a minute, though. Okay. Uh, he gave his all last week against USC. Yeah, he was probably him and the running backs were probably like the lone bright spot in, on the offense. Yeah, to be honest. Yeah, and he had to shoulder a pretty heavy burden last week after Zach Moss went down, just because yeah. Zach Moss. You know, they entered the season with Andy Ludwig saying that Zach Moss is going to tote the ball thirty times a game, mm-hmm. and when that goes down, you know, that's a difference maker for how you're going to run your offense. And for sure. Um, you know, Tyler Huntley shouldered that load very well last week. 18 carries for 60 yards, uh, 22 of 30 for 210. But this week, he was just on another level. I mean, that week of game planning and preparation uh-huh. made a difference. And he was 21 for 30, 334 yards for two touchdowns. Incredible. Yeah, he just he made all the right plays, all the right reads. Um, you could tell that he was in sync with his wide receivers. He uh-huh. made the long throws. He made the short throws, the intermediary. 
He had a bomb to Brian Thompson for 54 yards, a bomb to Samson Nakua for 52 yards, a bomb to Solomon Enos. Like, he's making tough throws that, like, only his wide receivers could get to. Speaking of tough throws, did you you see the check down throw where he was, like, literally wrapped up? Yes! And he, like, barely dumped it off. Got it off to Devontae Henry Cole, and that was on fourth down. Incredible. It was a fourth and one. Could have been sacked. Kept the drive alive. Yeah, he was so impressive in this game, and... Utah fans, ring his praises because he deserves it. But that doesn't mean that you need to bring down <laughs> other quarterbacks. I'm just going to say that one more time Yeah. before we move on. That doesn't mean that other quarterbacks suck or other quarterbacks aren't good. There yeah. can be more than one good quarterback <laughs> in the state at a time. Tyler Hundley is elite. He is great. He Guess what? He... Scott Mitchell and Ty Detmer played at the same time. Right. They were both good quarterbacks, okay? Uh-huh. There can be good quarterbacks at the same time. So, um, yeah, Tyler Hundley making the great th- The thing I like, I was impressed with most about him is you can kind of see the melding throughout the season of his decision making mm-hmm. become a little bit faster. Um there were some plays where he would, you know, quote unquote sc- scramble for a first down, but he made the decision so quick to take off and there was like no one around him that I I really questioned I'm like was that a like a quarter was that drawn up or did he react? Because it was that fast. It looked yeah. like it was a drawn-up play, but I'm pretty sure it was just his athletic ability. And so um, you're going to need more than that going down the stretch through Pac-12 play, for sure. Especially if, you know, dropping to USC hurt. We're not going to talk about that. But um, they got to win out. And you're going to need a lot of games like Tyler Huntley had to be able to win out. Even if it is, even if you are playing like Oregon State, which mm-hmm. they are um, after their bye week. Um, which is just another bye week, yeah. honestly, because they suck. But um, you're going to need solid play from Tyler Hunt like that consistently for the rest of the season. And the growth that we've seen from a week to week is what gives me optimism. Mm-hmm. There, I mean, we start with the game against BYU, and you could tell, even though he's very efficient, mm-hmm. there weren't a lot of big plays. Yes. He was just kind of, um, you know, making the plays that were there and not really risking anything. Sure, and he was following... The game plan. He's following which is, the game plan. Which is part, step one of the evolution. Well, sure. and the thing with the way that Utah plays BYU is it's all ball control because yeah. Utah knows on defense it can force turnovers mm-hmm. and take advantage of that. And on offense, all they need to do is just control the ball, control the clock, because yep. they don't want to give BYU opportunities to do anything. Mm-hmm. We've seen that the last several years in this game where Utah's running the clock down. Yep. And then they put together like a nine-minute drive. Um, but... Yeah, what's impressive to me is not only his his growth game to game, but his growth from last year. Him and Andy Ludwig are really meshing. Like Andy mm-hmm. Ludwig understands how to call this offense to Tyler Huntley's strengths. Yeah, and it's a credit to what they did this off season with only the off season to prepare. You know, Andy was hired back in January, and they put this together. And Tyler is just executing the game plan so well every single week. You look at from last year, his completion percentage is up 10%. Wow. Um, he's thrown for 1,146 yards. Last year, he threw for 1,788. That's crazy. So he's only 600 yards shy in you know half as many games as he played last yep. year. Uh, his average completion goes from 7.5 yards to 10 yards. Wow. Yeah. Um. And he's thrown seven touchdowns, no interceptions last year. Twelve touchdowns, six interceptions. His longest is 82 yards. 
his rating has jumped up 40 points. Yeah. From 140 to 179. So he is damn good. Yeah. Tyler Huntley is the freaking man. You need a quarterback like him if you want a chance to win a Pac-12 South championship. Yep. Um, and he wasn't the only quarterback that actually got some good run. Uh, they brought in um, yeah, Jason you- Shelley a couple times to just kind of give a different look, and I actually like that. Yeah. It was really interesting. It's Okay, let's be clear. Two quarterbacks playing in the same game is a positive if you know who your starter is and they're both healthy and mm-hmm. you know their strengths and weaknesses. That That's what Utah had, and it was dangerous because you saw Jason Shelley comes in. He didn't lose a step running the ball, you know? Um, people aren't sure how to handle, like, what his tendencies – the defenses don't know what his tendencies are, like mm-hmm. – um, because you they've been set in a rhythm exactly. because of the game plan and the film that you have. Yeah, and you watch Tyler Huntley for the past couple of games, and mm-hmm. then Jason Shelley comes in. You're like, oh crap! I don't know what, what this guy's. Especially do. with the new offense, you don't know mm-hmm. wh- what they have game planned and like what they have written up for Shelley in this yeah. offense. And it's it's a nice reminder that Utah is such a deep team. Mm-hmm. I mean, Shelley played in the Pac-12 championship last year. Like you you sometimes forget like how good the sec the bench warmers are yeah. for Utah and yeah. that's and that's just evidence of that yeah that second unit's really talented and um you know that I think that with how Tyler Huntley's been playing there would be a drop off between him and Shelley just because Tyler Huntley's been so good I mean he's the starter that's why yeah so. yeah he's the starter and but Jason Shelley just with his experience you know I wouldn't be concerned if he had to play for a prolonged period oh, no. this year especially you know, down the stretch with like UCLA, Arizona, and Colorado. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, Utah has Oregon State. They they have some tough games after that Oregon State game. They got Arizona State, Cal, and Washington back to back to back. Um, I I think that Utah is going to be able. I think Utah can run the table from here on out. Yes, they have the potential after... to. The Washington game is going to be very interesting. Mm-hmm. We don't know how they're going to look in a month. Um, I'm excited. I'm yeah. I'm really excited about this Utah team. I was very low last week, but I think Utah bounced back from that loss and showed, hey, this is the team that we really are. Yes. And I wouldn't be surprised if they ran the table. The the only thing that you want to see from a team after you lose is a change, is a difference. And that's what people saw between the USC game and this Washington State game. They saw a change, they saw a difference, they saw growth they saw learning and that's exactly what you need i'm hoping that byu can do the same thing that they can grow and evolve between their last loss and their next game after the bye um but in all accounts i'm excited for utah as well i mean they they, they're showing that they can probably run the table like you said and um they just got to keep it up yep that's all they got to do um you got three weeks until they really play uh, they're going to win the Oregon State game. Arizona State is up in three weeks on October. It's kind of a trap game. Nineteenth. Uh, I don't even consider Oregon State that. I know. I know you're concerned because they pushed Stanford. Hema. No, it's because Utah. <laughs> Arizona schools always give Utah. Trouble. Oh, I'm uh, sorry. I'm talking Arizona State. They're not going to overlook Arizona State. Arizona oh, State's ranked twentieth gotcha. in the country. Wait, what team are you talking about? Oh, Oregon State. Yeah, yeah, no. yeah, yeah. <laughs> They're gonna. Sorry, watch we're Oregon on State. a different. Yeah. We were on different uh, wavelengths right yeah, there. Yeah. Um, but Arizona State. What also I kind of like is that you know it's another week. We got the bye week in Oregon State mm-hmm. to, uh, to work Zach for... Moss back in. Yes, 
And, he, you know, it potentially he could be back for that game against Arizona State, which will be huge. If he's back for that three-game stretch against Arizona, Cal, Arizona State, Cal, and Washington, it's yes. a game changer. Game changer. It's a game changer for those games because especially against Cal and Washington, those are two very good defenses. Yeah. The, probably the two best defenses in the Pac-12 North. For sure. Utah's going to need him back. And it's not to discredit like DHC or Brumfield. Like they've done excellent in, in Zach's um, absence, but it's just, a, it's a, there's a difference. Yeah. Zach Moss is just a, he's a professional running back playing college. And yeah, yeah, I'm just, I'm just excited. I'm looking forward to the Arizona state game. Cause you know, if Zach Moss is back, like, you know me, I love running backs, love talking about running backs. And Benjamin's going to be um, fun to watch too. Mm-hmm. And uh, he ran all over Utah last year. I think this year will be the year that the defense kind of just stuffs it up. And like you said, uh, gives Utah a nice win heading into that last stretch of Pac-12 play. Um, So, yeah, lots to look forward to. Um, Let's see. We did BYU, Utah State, Utah. Anything else? No, let's wrap this. I want to go home. I have... uh... I'm out of the office until Friday. I am moving my family. We are uh, becoming pioneers making the trek from <laughs> uh, Pleasant Grove to Lehigh. So I got a busy day tomorrow because I'm basically yeah. tearing apart all our furniture and uh, packing it up because we're moving Tuesday morning bright <sighs> and early. Fun. Yeah. So looking forward to that. Um, again, we got bye weeks for BYU in Utah next week, but the Jazz are back. They have... Uh, media day tomorrow so we'll be talking jazz next week first preseason game next saturday so yes look that to look forward to um when we back we got some pop culture stuff to talk about in the coming days so yep yeah but stay stay tuned to kslsports.com we're gonna have a lot to say on byu and utah this next week i'm sure um thanks for listening to the sports beat after hours podcast i'm your host hemahimali jr he is your other host zachary hicken Good night, Vietnam.